Good morning, everyone. My name's Dave, one of the ministers here, and if you've got your Bibles, you know, flick back to Malachi, you could have that open to look through, but you can keep your thumb in Corinthians as well, because we'll go back there. Uh, and I want to start by uh, just testing you. I think it was very hard to miss um, Black Friday a few Fridays ago. Did everyone know what I'm talking about? I think it was pretty hard to miss it on the ads and shops and all that kind of stuff. But did you know that the days after Black Friday have names as well? You probably don't know this as well. Uh, if you're at house, you'll know this because I, I shared it a few weeks ago. Uh, but Saturday is Small Business Saturday. And Sunday is Sofa Sunday. Apparently you sit on the sofa and just order stuff on your phone. Um, and then Monday is Cyber Monday. I guess you buy electronics and things like that on Monday. But then Tuesday is the one I want to talk about. Uh, if you're at house, tell us, what, is, what was the Tuesday? Do you remember? Giving, that's right, Giving Tuesday. Did you know that? Uh, it seems that after all our spending on ourselves, um, we feel it's time to give a little to others, at least for one day of the year, I think. Uh, and and Christians, Christians are givers, aren't we? But not just one day. Christians are givers all the time. It's in our nature to be givers because our Heavenly Father is a giver. Our God gives all things to all people all the time. He gives life and breath and all things to all people. And so being like him, being made like him, we are givers as well. And God, he gives to us like for two reasons. He gives so we might enjoy the things that he gives to us and thank him for them. But he also gives that we might give to others and in many ways glorify him in the way that we give. And so Christians are givers, but we have a very complicated relationship with giving as well, don't we? And this is because we really like money. We might even love money. Right? We like what money can do for us. We like, we like how it makes, it makes us feel. We like the things we can, we can buy. We like the security that it gives to us as well. And so, so we love to spend and we love to save, but we often don't, don't really love to give. And really, if you think about giving, uh, giving is one of those good measures of faith. Uh, it's, it's hard to get, to get measures on our faith, but I think giving uh, gives us something to think about. Um, it's like if you, if you look at your bank account, if you follow the trail of, of what you are spending money on, at the end of that, you'll find your heart. Uh, you will find the things that you love. You'll find the things that you, you trust. You'll find the things that you are hoping in if you follow that trail of your money. And I wonder, what does your giving say about you? Right? Does where you put your money show that you love God, uh, that you trust him, and that your hope is in his promises? Or does it show a love for the things of this world and, and a trust in riches and, and a hope that is for this life only? Now this, of course, uh, giving is not a new struggle for God's people. It's always been a bit of a struggle and we see that today in Malachi. Israel had a bit of a giving problem as well. Right? When they returned from exile, times were lean. Right? We know they had drought and they had famine and they had poverty they had failing crops and fruit rotting on the vine. They had kind of crippling mortgages and cost of living pressures would have been high, I imagine. And they didn't have much money to spare. And so what did they do? They stopped giving to God. 
And it's through Malachi that, that God confronts them on this issue this morning that we see. And, and remember, uh, Malachi is quite a confronting book, but God is doing it out of love for his people. That's the headline over the whole book. God loves his people. Uh, and he confronts them in love. He confronts them for their good, that they might come back to him. Because this issue really, it's about more than money. Uh, it is about their hearts uh, and it is about their hope. Right, and of course, through God's word as well, he confronts us about this issue as well. But always for our good, because God loves us too much just to let us go our own way. Uh, so he calls us back to himself and the hope of his promises. And so today, as we're looking at Malachi, we're going to follow that uh, structure that Roger has shown us, which is what did it mean to them then? Uh, Old Testament Israel, how does it point to point us to Jesus today? And then what does it mean for us now? And you'll notice in your chips and chat book, we have that similar structure in there, so you guys can follow along as well. Now, let's start with what did it mean to them then? So, got Malachi there, open it up, and we, we've divided Malachi into six arguments. I think it, it kind of shows us to do that. And so this is number five. And they all have that similar structure we've been looking at, which is God makes a statement, Israel responds with like a doubting question, not in a good way, and then God gives a final answer and responds in detail. And so first we see God's statement in verse 6. And he says this, he says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. And these few verses are like God's relationship with Israel in a nutshell. Okay, God is faithful. God has always been faithful. He is never changing. He loves his people with a relentless, committed love. But God's people have always been unfaithful in the majority. They've always been those who turn away and rebel uh, against him not loving the God who loves them. And so God is constantly saying to his people, return to me, return to me. But then we see this, this doubting question from Israel, true, true to character, no doubt. The doubting question is, how are we to return? How are we to return? And I think what they're saying here is, how can we return if we're already here? We're already the children of Abraham. We're already in the land. We're back from exile. And we're doing what you said, we're doing the sacrifices, like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you mean? How are we meant to return when we're already here? And of course, God is not talking about the outward physical return of them, but he's talking about a return of their hearts to him, uh, to trust and obey him and to hope in his promises. Return to that. Right? Because the hearts of Israel are, are far from God. Right? And how do we see that? What's the evidence of that? Well, it's seen in their giving, isn't it? Have a look at verse 7. God goes on in response. He says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. So tithes and offerings, you need to know about this Old Testament thing. Uh, tithes and offerings were uh, was money, things given to God. A tithe was a tenth of the income that they had, and God commanded Israel to bring that into the temple. Uh, as well as that, they would bring offerings 
uh, like sacrifices and other gifts to the temple. And, and all of these were given to the Levites. Uh, they were the, the tribe that was given the responsibility of serving in the temple, uh, and they were the priests. And so this would uh, supply them and keep the temple worship running. And so uh, they would bring the tithe and offering to the temple. And they brought it in the knowledge that everything they had come, came from God. 100% of what they had was from God. He saved them. He brought them into the land. He, he brought them back into the land. Uh, he gives them the strength to work and earn a living. Uh, and he says, I give you everything, but you bring a part to, to give to me. That, that belongs to me, and you must bring it. But instead, what are they doing? They are keeping the tithe and offering. And, and essentially, God's saying, what you're doing is you are robbing me. You are stealing what belongs to me. And it's because of this that Israel are under the curse of God. Do you see that in verse 9? Very clear. It says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Now, what is, what is cursing? Well, that's the, the opposite of blessing that we heard last week. Blessing is the loving kindness of God um, upon a person. It is his favour, it's his grace. Uh, and God had promised to bless his people uh, when they obeyed him. But cursing is the opposite. It's God's judgment for sin. And that comes when they disobey God. God's curse, his judgment for sin comes upon them. And, and this is the reason why things are the way they are in Israel. Right? This is why there is drought. This is why there's famine. This is why there is pestilence. Right? Those things are not coming from, uh, purely from natural causes, but they are the curse of God for disobedience. Right, and Israel, Israel they, if they knew their scriptures, they should recognise this. And they should know what the response should be. The response is to repent and return to God. Right, that's the response God's looking for. Verse 10 and verse 11, we see what they're meant to do. Now, God says there, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Now what an amazing statement. Do you see that there? When God says to his people, test me in this. Amazing that God would say that. He's saying, bring, bring the tithe in. Right? See what I will do. Test me in this. Uh, it made me think of uh, the parent in the swimming pool, kind of waist deep with the toddler on the side of the pool with like the floaties up to their eyeballs, you know, and the parent saying, come on, jump in, I got you. And the kid is just nervous and just, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be safe here. Okay, and that, that, is what, that is what it's like here with this testing that God is giving to his people. He's saying, trust me in this. You see, because tithing at its, at its heart is a trust issue for Israel. Like God doesn't, doesn't want their money or, or really need their money. That's not his like, priority. Right? He wants their hearts. Right? He wants their trust. He wants his people to hope in his promises, right? to believe the things that he says to them and live their lives in light of them. Right? That, is what, that is what faith is. And that is even when the crops fail even when there's no fruit on the vine, even when their strength is, is dried up, even then, 
God wants him to say, God is the strength of my heart. God is my portion forever. I will trust him. He is good. He is faithful. He will not let us drown. All right, and then, and then give. Give to God what belongs to him. Give in faith. All right, and God, he says, if, if they do this, he promises to pour out so much blessing upon them, they won't have room for it. This was like when we used to go to, uh, a few years ago, we had younger kids, we'd go to Christmas at my family's house, and you know how you'd kind of fill up the washing basket with presents, and put it in the boot of the car, you've done this? That is the washing basket's best day of the year, by the way. No washing, presents that day. Anyway, we'd take the basket and we'd give, you know, presents out. But when we would go home, we, we would have a bootful of presents, I'm talking when you've got to like squeeze them in and, and close the boot till it clicks. Like we, had, we were given so much more than what we gave. And God's saying that's what he's going to do. If you bring the tithe, you bring the tithe in your cup to God, he's going to pour out these oceans of blessing upon you, Israel. Uh, that, is the, that is the challenge of God to his people. I mean, God loves to do this. God loves to bless. He doesn't love to curse. Uh, he loves to bless his people. Uh, this was the promise that he gave to Abraham. He wants to fulfill that promise to, to bless his people and through them to bless the whole world. Uh, that is God's desire. And we're seeing that repeatedly through Malachi, and through the whole of Bible, but, but through Malachi as well. And we see it again in verse 12 as we finish this section. Where he says, Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land says the Lord Almighty, uh, and that is what God loves to do. And so really this, this, this confrontation, this argument uh, between God and his people is really a call for them to remember the promises of God right, and to, to trust in a faithful God who is faithful to his promises. And in light of that, re- repent of this unbelief in giving uh, and, and give to God, putting their trust in him. And that's what this passage means to them then. Uh, But like all the Old Testament, uh, before we apply it to ourselves, you must see how it points us to Jesus. We can't just jump over the cross and just apply it to ourselves. We must see how it points us to Jesus. And so what we we see is that uh, between this time and the coming of Christ, that Israel didn't seem to change very much at all. They remained under the curse of God uh, until along came this one Israelite, who did the thing that Israel was meant to do, but they could never do. Now, Jesus was someone who was perfectly obedient to the law of God. Jesus never sinned, which means he never stole from God. And Jesus is the one who should have received that blessing from God. Those oceans, that overflow, ought to have come to him, but instead he received the curse of God. Uh, Paul tells us this in a, in a couple of amazing verses in Galatians. The first one is verse 13 when he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. And he's talking about the cross there because it's on the cross that Jesus experienced the curse of God. Right? The judgment for our sin was upon him. But Jesus endured that until it was finished. He endured the wrath of God against sin until it was satisfied, until the penalty for sin was paid in full. And by taking the curse upon himself, we see here what it means for us. It means we are redeemed. 
from the curse. Not because we were those under the curse. We were locked in that prison, as it were, until Jesus came along and, and opened the door and let us go free, and then he took our place. That's what Paul goes on to say in verse 14 uh, when he says that he redeemed us so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, and that is, you know, people of all nations, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so Jesus did ultimately receive the blessing of God uh, for his obedience, the blessing of Abraham, and, and wonderfully he shares it with everyone who trusts in him. The blessing that he deserves alone, he gives to all who trust in him. And the blessing, of course, is its peaceful relationship, peaceful and loving relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. Right? It's to be forgiven, it's to be counted righteous before God. It is to be adopted as a child of God and given the Spirit of God and to have this rich, eternal, guaranteed, certain inheritance in the new creation. Right, that, is, that is the blessing that comes to us through Christ. And it's, it's knowing this grace that comes to us through Jesus Christ that then puts us in a position to think and, and consider what then does Malachi uh, mean for us as those who are united with Christ? So what does it mean for us? And what we see in the New Testament uh, is that as we come to you know, God's people, the church, is that Jesus is this treasure that transforms the way we give transforms the way God's people give. And we see that when Paul is encouraging the Corinthians, uh, in 2 Corinthians, uh, to give to the work of God. Right? He, he finishes with this great shout of praise that shows them that this is the ground of all our giving. Right? And it comes in verse 15 when he says there, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And, and who's that talking about? It's talking about Jesus uh, if you're doing the names of Jesus' advent, this is going to come on day 24, okay? The indescribable gift. Uh, and, and this grounds all our giving because Christ is, in him is salvation. It's a gift given to us by God and it's so wonderful, it's indescribable. Right? Words fail to adequately tell right? just how good this is. Right? It's a gift of infinite value where if you didn't have it, you would sell everything you had that you might gain it. Right? But instead of that, we are freely given it by God. He gives it to us as a free gift and there's no returns. It's ours forever. Right? And it's, it's this reality, it's this treasure that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ that transforms the way we give. And so when Paul's talking about giving here, he doesn't, doesn't command this amount is what you give, but he actually, he, he encourages an attitude of giving. Right? He encourages his attitude of, of willingness and cheerfulness and generosity in God's people. And we see that in verse 7, where it says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, so rather willingly. Uh, I'll go back, sorry. And then God loves, of course, the cheerful giver. There we are, I'm up there. And then verse 11. And then you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
Um, so you can see there the, the willingness, the cheerfulness, the generosity. And what Paul is doing, he's appealing to the transformed desires of God's people. Right? He doesn't have to give them a law because the law of God has been written on their hearts by the Spirit. Right? They are new people with new desires and it's through the Spirit they want to do God's will. And so Paul's saying, well, be who you are. Give willingly to the work of God. And they want to please God. And so Paul says, well, God loves a cheerful giver. So be cheerful and you'll please God. And they want to glorify God. Well, Paul says, then give generously to the God who has given everything to you. Now, you might have noticed um, when we talk about giving in our giving booklet, we talk about 10%. And it, uh, we don't put it there as a law, just like Paul didn't give it as a law, but it's there as a guide. It's there as a guide. And, and for some, you know, 10% is, can be a really generous amount for them. Uh, but for others, 10% might be not, not generous at all. It's quite easy to, to give that amount. And so we're just putting it there as, as one of those concrete measures uh, to check the attitude of our giving. So we can ask ourselves, am I, am I willing in this? Am I cheerful when I give? Uh, and am I giving generously to the work of God? And it's really interesting, as Paul goes on uh, in this talking about giving with the church, that we see the challenge to test God, like we saw it in Malachi. It's still there. There's still that same relationship between God and his people. Let's have a look at verse 6. I'll give you three examples. Verse 6, the first one. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And so the, to sum it up, it's the challenge to sow generously or to give generously, trusting that God is going to supply everything that you need. He's going to be able to bless you abundantly with all that you need. Now, of course, we must be careful here because some people have taken this to mean, well, the more I put in, the more I'm going to get out from God. Like there's some kind of money multiplication going on if we have enough faith or give enough money or something like that. It's not that. Because we can see Paul's focus is not this material giving for material gain. But it's a gain of righteousness and good works. Verse 8, it's giving to abound in good works. It's giving to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And so I think a way that we have spoken about this here at church is it's giving to grow disciples is the way we talk about it. Giving is one of the ways that God grows us, mature like Christ, so that we might be those people who are bound in good works. It's also the way that he grows his church, that he makes new disciples as, as, as resources and money is given to equip God's people to do that great work, that great harvesting work, the harvesting of souls for eternity, to go out and to bring people in as they hear the gospel. We give toward growing disciples. That's the focus of our giving. We're not in it for any kind of material, earthly gains. We're in it for eternal gains. 
We are storing up treasure in heaven. We want to we make and grow disciples of Jesus in this time as we look forward to eternity. But I think we're, kind of, I think we're really good at recognising we're not in it for material gains, but those eternal ones. I think we're good at that. But I think the thing we really struggle with is believing the promise of God. Right? Believing the promise of God that if we are generous givers, that he will supply everything that we need. He promises to do that. But I think we struggle to believe it. And so we see that giving for us as well is a, it's an issue of the heart. Right? It's an issue of, of trust and an issue of, of where our hope is in. Now, if you like, we are like those toddlers standing on the side of the pool and God's saying, saying, jump in, I've got you. I won't let you drown. You can trust me. But, but we can be quite afraid. We can think, I'm not going to have enough for myself when we, when we look into the future. And so we can step back from that generous giving. And look, you know, people who, people who don't know God you have every reason to fear the future. But not Christians. Because we know a God who uh, is in control of all things and has our future in his hands. Uh, we know God as Father, who is rich and generous and faithful to his promises. He's proven that, and we can trust him. And we know Jesus, this gift of infinite value right, that is ours through faith, that he has secured for us his eternal blessing of God in relationship. And because of that, we have this hope, don't we? we? We know what's coming in the future. We will be with God forever in the new creation. Right? We, we have this hope. And if, if you believe that, if, if that hope is your hope, then we should be those people that express that in the way we give, right? to be willing and to be really cheerful about it, and to be generous, right? Generous in a way that shows we trust God. Right, so let us jump into that. Let us take those next steps in giving, whatever that is for you, just to take that next step uh, and grow in that way. And, and remember that we are, we are doing this, we might see disciples made, but ultimately so we might see God praised, we might see him glorified, for the treasure that he is and that we have come to know. So let us give thanks to him and let us pray that he would do that work in us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word uh, and how you confront us in love and for our good always. Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation through your son that you have freely given to us and all those who repent and trust in you. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would know that great hope to which you have called us, that we might know the riches of our glorious inheritance in Christ, and we might trust you and your faithfulness to do all the things that you have promised. And Father, we pray, continue to transform our hearts, that we might be those people that you have called us to be, uh, to be those who are generous with all that you have given to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.